well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be here. I'm still kind of riding a high from last week. Uh, it was an awesome Easter Sunday, and Doug's message was on point. I don't know if you heard it or remember it, but he said that God's love, the love of Jesus, can resurrect us. He said that because of Jesus' resurrection, we can experience resurrected hope and joy and love in our lives today. Boom, that is good news. That's gospel truth. And I needed to hear that last week. I need to hear that often. And uh, it was such good news that we decided we're just going to hang out um, and talk about Jesus' love and what it can do for us for the next few weeks. Um, So in that pursuit, we're just going to hang out in 1 John for a while, all right? John was a guy uh, who hung out with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was in Jesus' crew. They ate together. They hung out together. They traveled together. They were friends, all right? And because of that, they had a history. They had memories, And so after uh, John's friend Jesus um, died on the cross, he was buried, he raised again, and then he ascended into heaven, uh, Jesus' friend John decided to write some books about Jesus. All right, and so he wrote a couple books and a few letters. First John is one of those. He was a well-qualified man to write about the love of Jesus that he had experienced firsthand. And so we're just going to walk through 1 John together over the next few weeks. Now let me tell you, it's a short book, all right? It's five chapters fit onto just over three pages in my Bible, all right? It's a quick read. So I would ask you guys today, um, could we commit as a church to read 1 John this week in its entirety? Three pages five chapters. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair rack somewhere around you, in front of you, beside you. You can take that. We'd love for you to have it. It's our gift to you. But I just think it'd be awesome if as a church we could commit, we will read 1 John in its entirety this week. Can you do that with me? Are you willing to go for that? All right. Awesome. This is going to be great. Okay, enough of the intro stuff. Let's dive in. As we do, I want you to reflect on your worst breakup story, all right? Your worst one, you know what I'm talking about. Your heart broke, your dreams were shattered, right? Um, You ugly cried. You felt like when Taylor Swift sings, because baby, now we got bad blood, right? (laughs) She's just looking into your soul, okay? Don't judge me. I've heard a Taylor Swift song, all right? It's on the radio. Pete was catchy. I'll find something else to listen to, okay? What's your worst breakup story? You have one? If I'm going to be honest, I didn't date a lot in school, uh, in large part because it's just hard to get a date when all the girls are taller than you, okay? The struggle's real. This is who I am, what I deal with. Uh, so I didn't date a lot in school, but in middle school, I, uh, I did have one girlfriend, and um, if, if I'm honest, my worst breakup story, uh, the role I play is the offender. I think I was the cause of a bad breakup, so I'll tell you about this. I dated this girl in middle school. I don't know. Uh, I didn't even know what dating was 
then really, and for whatever reason, I don't know how long we dated, but I just decided it's time to call it off. And so I'm in the car with my mom, um, and I just said, she's driving us to a school dance. So I turn to her and I say, Mom, I think I'm going to break up with my girlfriend tonight. And uh, she responds with this shocked, Eric, you're taking her to the Valentine's Day dance tonight. You can't break up with her tonight. Don't you have something for her? What are you thinking? And I just thought, well, no, I don't have anything for her. I, don't know. I was going to break up with her. Why would I get her something? Right? And so now I'm, there's a wrench in the situation. So we get to the dance. And uh, sure enough, she's there. And she has this paper sack, like one of the big ones. And she walks up to me. She says, hey, happy Valentine's Day. I got something for you. It's a paper sack full of stuff. And she starts pulling stuff out. My favorite Tic Tacs. And she knew that. And a VHS cassette tape of the first movie we watched, you know, and and a group or whatever. And it's a bag full of stuff like this. And the more she pulls out, the guiltier I feel. And when she gets done, there's just this awkward silence. And in my head, I'm thinking, I just want to break up with you. But my mom's voice is ringing in my head, don't do it tonight. It's like this inner turmoil. I don't know what to do. And so I just finally blurt out, and I have nothing for you. And I thought... Maybe she'll get upset enough, she'll just break up with me. This could work out. But she didn't. She says, oh, that's okay. I'm just glad I have a date to the dance. Super sweet, right? I could not have felt more guilty. And as a middle school boy, feeling super guilty and awkward, wanting to break up with her, but mom saying no. When you're in middle school, your conscience sounds a lot like your mom. I don't know if that's you guys. Mom saying no. I don't know what to do. So I just did what any middle school boy does when girls are around. You just avoid her like the plague, right? I don't think I talked to her for the rest of the night. And uh, the next day, with fresh breath from the Tic Tacs she'd just given me, I told her, I think we need to call it off. Right? And she cried. Um, not my best moment reflecting on that. Maybe uh, the reason I couldn't get a date wasn't just because I was short. Right? Um, breakup stories. They hurt, right? Do you have one? What's your story? Um, maybe it wasn't a middle school girlfriend, right? Maybe it was a long marriage. Maybe it was kids who grew up and moved out and left the house feeling a little more empty, a little too quiet. Maybe it was somebody who was close to you but moved far away and what was once a close relationship changed because of distance. Maybe you lost someone you love. What's your story of lost love? I don't know yours, but I'd venture to guess that everybody here has one. And those stories hurt. In a real way, the story of love lost penetrates us to places that we don't often get a touch. Uh, It's a real pain that's hard to deal with. And I think it hurts like that because we weren't designed for that kind of love. We weren't designed for love that can be lost. We were designed for a love that lasts, all right? We were created for 
a love that endures and perseveres and overcomes. Inside, we long for that kind of love. And today, we're going to see in God's word that God loves us with that kind of love. Today, we're going to hear John tell us that love can last. And so that's what I want to look at. Uh, God's love can last. It will never fade. It will only remain. And here's what I think we're going to see in the Bible today. Uh, We're going to see John tell us that the love of God is old. It started a long time ago. It began all the way in the beginning, but it didn't stay there. Though the love of God is old, the love of God is also new. All right, and so we're going to look at those two things in turn. The love of God is old, and the love of God is new. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, The love of God is old. I would submit to you today that God's desire to see his love go out to the world, for people to embrace that love and and cherish that love, be changed by that love, for those people uh, who would receive that love from him, he has this desire for it to go out, to be received, and then for those people who receive it, uh, for them to be so filled with it, so full of it, that it overflows from them and spreads out to the people and the world around them. That desire, that longing in God's heart has been there from the beginning. It's old. That's where we start today. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. John writes this, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. John says this love command issued by God is old. It's all the way back from the beginning. And I think we can see what John's talking about if we look back at the first few books of the Bible. Have any of you guys read Leviticus lately? Anybody? Leviticus, the third book of the Bible? No? Well, one... I haven't, okay? If I'm going to be honest, I haven't. Why? Leviticus is a book full of just laws and rules for God's priests and his people to follow. It's instructions, right? And so it can get a little dry, a little confusing, and people don't read it very often. That's kind of sad because in that book, we see one of the first clear issues of God's love command. So let's look at Leviticus together. Here's what... It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. From the beginning, God is showing people, He's calling people how to love like He loves. It's almost like God is saying, Love the people around you the way that you love yourself because I'm God and that's what I do. And if you're going to follow me, that's what you will do too. He's just giving us this command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Have you ever experienced that kind of love? Have you ever felt that kind of love? Well, you may remember back in 2011, 
the Missouri River, which way is it? This way, um, almost flooded. Uh, at that time, my wife and I lived half a mile from the river. Um, and so we uh, heard that the water was coming and we tried to get flood insurance. And uh, turned out, though we got flood insurance, it wasn't going to take effect in time. Um, and so we were stressed out. Not only that, the authorities told us that if the levee broke in just the right place near us, we would have minutes before the water rose so high that it wouldn't be safe to drive out. All right, so um, this is stressful. At that time, I was working in Omaha across the river, and my wife was living at home with our two-year-old boy and our newborn baby girl. I cannot remember a time since or before that I've been that stressed out. I couldn't stop thinking things like, if the levee breaks, will my wife be able to get my family out of there in time? Are they safe living in our home? And even if they are, even if she could get them out in time, we don't have insurance and we don't have much, but that house is everything we have. And if it floods, Without insurance, we could lose everything. How do you recover from something like that? I don't know. And so I just lived in this state of super high stress with a low ability to do anything about it. And it was in that moment, that in that tension, that our neighbors started loving us. I say our neighbors, it really was a city group before we called them city groups, right? It was just the people who were doing life with. One family, the Higgins, they uh, told us, hey, we've got a huge unfinished basement. Um, If you need to store your stuff here until uh, the water goes, keep it safe from the flood, you're welcome to. And when we accepted that offer, they actually brought their truck and helped us move our stuff over there. And not only that, there's somebody else in our group, um, the Bachmans. Desiree worked at Iowa Western in Residence Life. And she told us, hey, I found an apartment on campus that you can stay in um, so that your family's safe while the waters are high. And so, uh, man, it gets me emotional even thinking about it. She said, you can stay here. And not only did she give us a place to stay, that she, she stocked the cupboards with food and snacks for our family so we had something to eat when we got there. That's love. Have you ever experienced that kind of love? They were loving us as they loved themselves. Those people looked at their own possessions and said, man, we wouldn't want this destroyed by a flood. And so we're going to find a way so that our neighbors can be loved that way. We, uh, we had friends who said, we, we want to feel safe where we live, in our home. And so we're going to find a way to love somebody else with that same kind of love so they can feel safe where they're living. That kind of love reflects the heart of God. It's what he's been calling his people to since the beginning, since Leviticus. Have you ever felt that kind of love? I would ask you today, who can you love like that? Who, what neighbor can you love as yourself? Who, who exists in your world that your city group can love like that? Make a meal, mow a lawn, have somebody over for dinner, spend some time with a kid who needs it. 
I'd, I'd say it doesn't matter so much how you love the people around you. It matters that you love the people around you. Loving your neighbor might be old-fashioned, but that's okay. Because the love it's fashioned out of is old. It started in the beginning. So we would say the love of God lasts, and the love of God is old, okay? Um, but the love of God isn't just old, all right? I want to look at what John says next. First John chapter 2, verse 8. At the same time, at the same time as this love command is old, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. It's old, and at the same time, it's new. How could something be both old and new at the same time? Those things seem like opposite ends of the spectrum. How could you be in both at once? Um, Good question, but I think we experience old things as new pretty regularly. Let me give you an example. Um, You've seen trendy people wear uh, thin ties, right? I think this is relatively new. All of my ties are more than a few years old, and none of them are thin, okay? I have not caught up uh, to the style yet, and so since I haven't caught up, I ask questions like, is that really new? Is that really a new trend or fashion? Because in a small cafe in College Springs, Iowa, there hangs a picture of my great-grandma's high school graduating class. And in that picture, black and white, from the 1930s, all the men are wearing ties, and they look pretty thin to me, right? The 1930s, that thing is old, and it's new. Old things can be made new, right? And so uh, that's what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. He took an old command, and he made it new. Look at me, uh, look with me at what Jesus said. He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Okay, so in Leviticus, the love command is uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus doesn't undo that, but he makes it new. Jesus' command, making it new, says, as I have loved you, love one another. So we move from loving people to the extent that we love ourselves to loving people to the extent that Jesus loves them. That's new. How does Jesus love people? What would that be like? Well, he told us. We can find out in his word. So let's go back one more time. In Luke chapter 6, let me read to you uh, something that Jesus said. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. We don't just love our neighbors. We love our enemies, right? When we're hit, we don't hit back. We turn the other cheek. When someone steals from us, 
Not only do we not demand back what they took, we give anything else they might need, right? This loving your enemy is easier said than done. And I think if we're honest as we sit in here, some of us actually have real enemies. And when, we, when I say love your enemies, somebody's picture, some name comes to mind. This is real. And our hearts close off to those people because of what they've done to us, what they said to us, how they treated us. But could I invite you this morning? Might God's word be inviting you this morning to love even your enemies? Now, I know if you've got a picture in your head that that is an intimidating challenge. It's a scary invitation, okay? So let me say, I'm not asking you to become best friends. But I am saying maybe we could take a step toward our enemies in love. Okay, what would that look like if we did that? Maybe forgiving your enemies today looks like praying for them. In the passage I just read, Jesus said, pray for those who abuse you. Loving your enemies today might look like starting to pray for somebody who you've never been able to pray for before. Maybe loving your enemies today looks like forgiveness. Could the self-sacrificing love of Jesus be calling you today to offer forgiveness to an enemy? I don't know what that looks like for you, um, but if the Spirit of God has somebody on your heart right now, pray about it. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he prayed for the very people that had just nailed him there with these words. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A prayer of forgiveness on the cross for the people standing below dividing up his clothes. Jesus loved his enemies by praying for them and forgiving them. Um, His love enables us to love our enemies in the same way. Could we be a people who love our enemies? Jesus makes this command, this love command from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. He makes it new, and in one way he says, love your enemies. But that's not all he says. Let's look at one more. He said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If we're called to love others like Jesus loved others, then we don't only love people as much as we love ourselves. We love other people more than we love ourselves, to the extent that we would even be able to lay down our lives so that someone else might have life. Now, if this seems like a radical, kind of extravagant, self-sacrificing, costly sort of love, that's because it is, all right? That's exactly what it is. And being commanded to embody and display this kind of love to the world around us is intimidating. It's challenging. It's scary. At least it is for me. I don't know about you. But if you're in that boat with me, let me encourage you, before you let those feelings settle in, let the good news of the gospel settle in, all right? That same radical, 
extravagant, self-sacrificing, costly love that we're called to, that love command that we've been issued as followers of Jesus, that's the very love that's been rooted in God's heart since the very beginning. Since the beginning, he's been empowering and enabling the very people who he's called to love that way to love that way. It's an old command and an old kind of love, and that's the kind of love that Jesus has made new for us. And he he didn't just make it new in some kind of lesson learned kind of way. He made it new in a real kind of way. Because Jesus lived a sinless life, and death had no rights to him, no right over him. And yet in a matchless display of a glorious act of love, unparalleled in all of history, Jesus was nailed to the cross for us. He laid down his life for his enemies, for the people who hated him and abused him, who rebelled against him and disobeyed him and rejected him and rebelled against him. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies, for you and for me. And if I'm honest, if I assess my relationship with Jesus, it looks like a breakup should be coming, right? Because he is always faithful, and I'm not. And he is always good, and I'm not. And he gives freely, asking nothing in return. And I take constantly, having nothing to give in return. It's almost like that middle school dance that I was at, right? The bag of gifts just keep coming, and I have nothing for you. And all of that makes it seem like a breakup is on the horizon. This, there's no way that this love of Jesus could be a love that lasts. It's too lopsided. It's going to be lost. But the good news today is that the love of Jesus isn't like a middle school dating love, right? It's different. The love of Jesus can and does last. There's nothing you can do to overcome it. He loves you with the same radical, extravagant, self-sacrificing, costly sort of love that he's calling you to. There's a man named Daniel Aiken who said it like this. The love of God is old as the sun and new as the dawn, all right? Just as surely as the sun will rise over us every day like it has for all of history, God's love will continue toward us every day like it has for all of history. The love of God lasts. It's old and it's new. Jesus loves with that kind of love. He loved us in the beginning. He loves us today, and he will love us for eternity. Listen, City Light, because we've received a love like that, we have everything we need to give a love like that. Let's be a people who know the love of God and show the love of God to a world that needs to see it. Amen?